Welcome to Interruptions Podcast, where we have heartfelt and sacred discussions about our culture, faith traditions, and community. We invite guests who are open and willing to share their journey and disrupt the silence on their personal and professional interruptions that have impacted their lives as it relates to our mental health. Kathy and I are passionate about every episode and committed to providing actionable advice that you can apply today to reinvent yourself on your life journey and encourage you to develop a path towards healing. Our podcast today is titled The Faces of Mental Wellness, and this is podcast number 22. 22. And and my name is (laughs) Reverend Odell. And I am Kathy Patton. I got to get a cute nickname, like you had Reverend O, so I got to get a cute nickname. You got to think about that. that. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I am well in yourself. I'm good. I feel like my head's cut off, but I wanted to show you that I have your shirt on. Ask me another question. So I I I, I, I love it. I love it. (laughs) As we'll continue to talk about interruptions expanding which brings us to, uh, again, for those of you who missed our previous podcast this month, we are still in the month of mental wellness. Mm-hmm. And Mental Health Month raises awareness of trauma and the impact it can have on the physical, emotional, and mental well-being of families and communities. And we are continuing our discussion on mental wellness. Yes, absolutely. So Odell, are you going to share who our guest uh, is with us? I know I'm going to give you that pleasure. Oh, thank you so very much for this honor. I'm, you know, like I said, well, anyway, I'll, I'll stay focused. So uh-huh. um, in the past, we have had pastors on talking about mental health and we have had clinicians and psychiatrists as well as social workers talking about mental health. Well, today we got it all combined in one. That's right. That's <laughs> we right. have joining us today the Reverend Dr. Frederick Jerome Streets to the stage. So <laughs> we need a drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Well, thank you. It's great seeing uh, both of you. You great as well. You too. Kathy, I've been cheating. I've been going to the Bible study, the wellness sessions with Reverend Streets. And I'm just so glad we're virtual um, that I could just pop in many places. <laughs> oh, it's virtual. Okay, awesome. That's wonderful. Yes. She's she's been a blessing to our to our congregation too. Oh, awesome. Just wonderful to be there. So uh, Reverend Streets, uh, unfortunately, you know, Kevin only gives us an hour for our podcast. And we always tell people that, you know, to really learn who our guests are, to Google them. And as we Googled you, there were so many pages and acronyms behind your name. So to do justice for who you are, people have to Google you. But we are going to ask you, as you introduce yourself, We know that you are pastor, and I don't want to mess this up, clinician, social worker. You've got these combined titles. And as you introduce yourself, Pastor Streets, can you tell us why now is it that you are preaching and teaching both pastoring and mental health? So I'm going to turn it over to you. 
Well, okay. Well, well, thank you. You, as you indicated, I I had the blessing of being the pastor. My first pastorate was the Mount Airy Baptist Church in Bridgeport. I was there for 17 years, uh, where now the Reverend Dr. Anthony Bennett is leading. Over 25 years now, he's been there. And after um, Mount Airy, I was a chaplain of Yale University and pastoring the University Church. And I was there for 15 years. And now I'm at the Dixwell Congregational United Church of Christ in New Haven as its senior pastor. It's a kind of full circle because Dixwell Church is where I did my student ministry before going to Mount Airy. So um, it's it's been a, a, a kind of, a, a, my wife said, you know, your, your ministry has been uh, in the circumference of 22 miles. You know, haven't gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but over, over the, those years, uh, particularly starting at Mount Airy, I always had an interest in the spiritual and psychological side of who we are as human beings. And uh, it was while I was at Mount Airy that I went back to school after graduating from Yale Divinity School and uh, did a master's in social work at uh, the Wurzweiler School of Social Work at Yeshiva University in New York. And then um, after doing the MSW, decided to continue on where I then did the doctorate in social welfare, uh, also at Wurzweiler. And um, little did I know that using those skills, uh, as Kathy knows so well, because of her, of her training as a social worker, we not only learn theories and, and uh, frameworks for helping people and getting a deeper understanding of human growth and, and development, uh, a good social work education also in, involves self-awareness and becoming a, aware of your own struggles, strengths, and weaknesses, and what we now refer to as how to, to self-care so that you don't impose your problems on the people you're trying to help. Um, and so that's that's been part of the journey. And little did I know when I when I went for my social work education, that that would lead me into a relationship with a, a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Richard Malika, who's a psychiatrist at the Harvard Medical School, who uh, over 25 years ago started the Harvard program in refugee trauma and asked me to be a part of the founding faculty where I'd supervise and do lectures on spirituality and mental health for people across the, the disciplines of mental health, psychiatry, psychology, social work, policy people, lawyers, uh, um, uh, and we trained them and we've been doing it now for this particular training program for 14 years mm -hmm. and having 60 people each year in what's called a master certificate in global mental health offered by the Harvard Medical School. So it's a five month program, two weeks of which is face-to-face -face, uh, engagement and the remaining four, uh, five and a half um, months, four and a half to five months is online supervising and, and uh, guiding people in their clinical work all over the world. So um, while, I mean, that's been so enriching and, and impactful, uh, I have focused my lens upon my own experience um, here in the United States, being a part of the black community, 
and knowing the resilience and strengths that are there um, historically and, 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 and even now, I mean, as people live their lives, recognizing that um, we're at a time in history now where we need to, more than ever before, if you will, focus on what it means to be well, to be whole, uh, mind, body, and spirit, and to uh, make it okay to talk about wellness and to have a clear way of distinguishing troubles that we all have to deal with from pathologies, mm. because the mental health field historically has been so trapped into a clinical, dysfunctional, abnormal, pathological model uh, that sometimes it overlooks the, the, the larger strengths that people have. And so black folks in particular have been you know, very cautious um, to seek formal mental health uh, assistance because they don't want to be stigmatized, they don't want to be pathologized, and they have a distrust for um, larger medical field that we know from dealing with COVID-19 vaccination issues. And so um, we're, now, we're now at a very uh, exciting, I think, but very challenging time to marry or have a better understanding of the strengths that both the spiritual side of who we are and our spiritual traditions and our various religious denominations bring to the mental health side uh, in concert, in partnership, that could help us to uh, not suffer so much alone, to recognize uh, mental, um, mental illness when that is the case, and to recognize what it takes to uh, foster uh, well, wellness and well-being and resilience in, in, in our folks. Okay. Just as a quick aside, uh, a lot of people don't know that Ralph Ellison and Richard Wright in the early 1940s opened up a mental health clinic in Harlem. Uh, and it was called the Lafarge Clinic because it was named after the psychiatrist that they hired to do it, who was kind of trained in the, psych the old Freudian psychoanalytic model. But Richard Wright and Ellison were wise enough to say that there are some things about that model that would be helpful, but not everything. And so they developed a, a whole different protocol to helping people back in the 40s, African-Americans who were dealing with Jim Crow and segregation and coming up the great migration from the South and all of that. And that clinic lasted about 12 years and only stopped wow. Because, wow. because they ran out of funding. And it was in the basement of a church. And the church is still there in Harlem. Uh, but uh, the clinic, uh, you know, only, as I said, lasted 12 years. And so we have to think about both the strengths and weaknesses of how we approach within our community at large and within our religious institutions and understanding of wellness and to encourage people to seek help when they need to, to do so and to recognize it. Uh, I agree. And, I, and so you, thank you. Thank you. That's a perfect segue. Um, and I'd love to hear more about that program that you're talking about, the certification program as well. But that's a perfect segue because the title of our podcast, this uh, is the Faces of Mental Health. So mm -hmm. I want to ask you, what does mental wellness look like? Hmm. Not what it feels like. No. <laughs> 
because the face, the look, the look of mental health can be deceiving. Mm -hmm. um, the three of us looking at each other. I'm just, if you let me play, uh, take devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. We're watching each other, and others are watching us. There's nothing about the way we look that would suggest that we're having trouble. There's nothing about the way we sound that would suggest that we're having trouble. Uh, but but only we know what volcanoes may be erupting within our own spirit, within our own mind, and how uh, how those rumblings are either interfering with our ability to live our best selves on a day-to-day -day basis, and or and or how they might be contributing to other physical problems like hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, obesity, uh, addiction. Um, which is often the ways in which we try to self-soothe and medicate ourselves. Uh, so how do we know when someone is not well uh, outside of some extreme behavior that brings them to the attention of authorities or they break a law? We only know it by at least three things, three ways. People willing to share with us what's going on. We observe behaviors that we might want to question or think about. Say, you know, that that person seems to always have a chip on their shoulder, or they're they're always irritable. They're always they seem sad or depressed. So uh, we watch behaviors and we watch the, the affect that people present, and we observe how the relationships that people have with with their husbands, wives, children, et cetera, might be an indication that they're passing on some trauma. Uh, so you have to you you have to have the cues to to wonder without projecting. Uh, you, you have to have the cues that helps you to wonder and the love and the empathy that helps you to raise the questions with people in a way that is ki kind and caring and not assigning them uh, initially some stereotypical notion that they're not well but pastor you are you are unique um because you come with the pastoral experience and the mental health experience pastors who don't have your other background we are stigmatized um and it's and it's no fault of theirs you know we say that people are moody um they're sometimey they're you know sometimes they're up sometimes they're down but it's mental health mm -hmm. and we don't realize it now, I've been to your Bible study on Wednesday where you have an integrated sessions of the, of the Bible and mental health. And you have a wellness session on Fridays. And I've joined that and it's been great discussion where you, you've, you've created this safe space for people of color to talk about mental health without judgment. How did, I mean, how did you create these ministries? And when did you decide that it was best to do Bible study and mental health and this Friday night wellness session? Mm -hmm. How did you create those? Well, I think one of the most important psychological and spiritual questions um, that a pastor can, can think about and ask people with whom she or he is working is, how are you? How are you doing? Uh, I, I don't mean just what's up. I mean, you know, how are you? How, how are you doing? Uh, there are different ways to ask that, but you, you get the you get the idea. 
And so uh, because we were in this pandemic year and uh, shifted to the, the Zoom format and virtual uh, mostly everything, I wanted to know how people were doing. And uh, so the, the ideas uh, over a year ago started we're gonna we we have worship and we were recording that on YouTube and all that when we until uh, till we're able to worship outside when the weather changed but uh, it wasn't enough to to do the production of a worship service I said people still need an opportunity to fellowship even though it's a virtual format and so I invited the congregation to to meet at, on a volunteer basis any number of them every Friday. And we start off with it was called it's called as you said the wellness meeting. It starts off by asking people how they're doing, and how uh, uh, how might they be aware of how other members of the church are doing, um, and and uh, within a general atmosphere of confidentiality, we don't ask them to go into any detail about someone, but we say if you know someone who is struggling with something. Um, you know, this is the way you can let the pastor know and the deacons know, and we can follow up on it. So that led to different topics. When I, when we started talking about how people were doing, people would talk about their anxiety, um, mm -hmm. their depression. And so that's it. All right. I can bring what I know about that in, but we all know that sometimes it's good to bring someone from the outside to, who might be saying the same thing you, you would say. And so we started lining up people. And so we've had physicians to come on, psychiatrists, uh, pediatricians, uh, primary care physicians to talk about uh, stress and anxiety from their perspectives. Um, our most recent, uh, most recent uh, wellness meeting included started expanding. We, we've had cooking show presentations. On, uh, 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 one of the members is a chef, and so they started talking about how they, why they are a chef, and the love of cooking, and how cooking is nurturing, and that kind of thing. We out of the a meeting two weeks ago. People said, now that we're going back to work and other places with the, having been vaccinated, I'm anxious about going back to my old job. So now we have a session coming up about anxiety in the, returning to the workplace, the anxiety of returning to quote normal. And the theme of that discussion is, are we in a post COVID world? And okay. the implication is no. But to me, <laughs> right. But I, that's what we're going to explore. That, that's that's awesome. And and so what you're doing is you're hearing what people need, and then you're adjusting based on that need. And right. so, um, Odell, obviously, I've known Reverend Street for a very very long time, and and never imagining that we would be sitting here, right, doing this podcast. But um, and not and I want to share this story. Not in a clinic. It's not a clinical definition of trauma, but from a teenage definition of trauma, right? And and my mother was not one of those people that allowed us to sit on the sidelines. So if you're going to church, you're going to be involved. And so she would she would always sign me up to be in something. And then I remember there was a program 
him that an afternoon, this is when people came back in the afternoon for church, right? And so she signed me up to be the MC of the program in the afternoon. And I was so nervous. And this is at the old Mount Airy, right? Nowhere near as big, right? Nowhere near as big as, as what the Mount Airy is right now. And so I, I remember saying to Reverend Street, I was really terrified. And I said, how do you do this? By the time, like, how do you get up and you preach in front of people every Sunday? I said, I'm like terrified. And what he shared with me is something I actually have carried for these many years and actually share it with my staff as well. And he said that, you know, every time you do something, you are nervous. Of course, you're going to be nervous, but you learn to study, you learn to practice. And each time you do it, you do it with more confidence than you did the time before. And so mm -hmm. I've always carried that with me. And I appreciate those words because those are life learning lessons. Um, and so for me, I'm sitting here and I see like I have Kathy Patton and you have Reverend Odell. And Reverend Street says Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. He's just Jerry. Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, you know, for me, I, again, Odell, you know, I've told you this before. I don't know the ministerial world. I don't, I'm, you know, profess to understand how it works. But for us, Reverend Street, because of what you have done, all you have accomplished, I don't, why are you, why are you Reverend Street? Why, what is the difference? Why are you Reverend Street and not Pastor Street? Why are you not Bishop Streets, right? So what is, how does that work and why, and are you, because I've heard your parishioners call you Jerry. And so, and you're comfortable with that. So how does that work? How have you transitioned through those titles? Well, thank you uh, for asking that. I mean, earlier in my career, like anyone moving into a profession, you you go through the training, the orientations and ordination and all that, all that stuff. And you have these fantasies about uh, being the, the Reverend Doctor, you know. Uh, back in that day, it was Reverend Doctor. It, the, the other titles that we now have are relatively new in the last 20 years, you know, Bishop and, and all, all these things. Um, and, uh, and that's a normal kind of association and rite of uh, passage. Uh, and it's a matter of what uh, what the person feels comfortable with. Titles have their appropriate place, uh, hierarchy, structures, and all that. But uh, the older I've gotten, it's far more important to me um, to be as relational as I can. and And uh, that's, that's not that's not to say that I can't be relational with the title, but um, and I appreciate people who use it or respect you know want want to show a form of respect, but that's secondary to trying to just be a relational person. Sometimes when I present myself, I say, my name is Jerry, <laughs> my nickname is Jerry, my government name is Frederick Jerome. <laughs> and uh, I'm a member of the Dixwell Church, where I also serve as pastor. Mm -hmm. I don't say I'm a pastor at Dixwell Church first. I'm a member because I am. Right. <laughs> and it's it's we're all a part in in the Christian world. We're all a part of the body body of Christ. So we all are familiar with the scripture that talks about different um, functions and different offices, but all a part of the same body. And that, that is, for me, a guiding metaphor for why I'm Jerry uh, and not, I don't have to be Reverend Doctor. It's a, it's a paradox. I don't have to be something that I know that I am. 
Now, Reverend Streets, your <laughs> church, I want to make sure I have this correct. Your church is the oldest black church in the country, correct? The oldest congregational church. Congre United congregational church. Right. Okay. 1820. All right. Yes. Yeah. Now, would you say, because we've had our last podcast was called, um, is the church really listening? So, and that's not true with every church, but it's obviously true with yours because you said you're listening and by you listening to your ministry and your people, you're developing ministries to help them with mental health issues and anxiety mm -hmm. and stress and, and so forth. Um, so what would you say to pastors who don't have your clin your clinical experience? What would you say to pastors to help them to know that they need to listen and, and how do they listen? Uh, I try to because I, I do sometimes workshops with, with pastors about trauma-informed ministry and whatnot. And I try to help pastors to think about what it means to pastor out of being a servant and not out of the ego of the title of servant. Because, uh, you know, my, my the first years of my ministry, uh, I'm, I'm, I appreciate it. I'm, I was blessed to be a part of Mount Airy. We were blessed to build a new church and all that. But when I think back on it, some of that motivation, while positive results, was out of ego. Ego is not a bad thing, mm -hmm. but it can't be the central thing. Okay. Um, and when you when you when you're not consciously aware of of functioning out of your ego, then then when things come up and challenges come up, you can respond defensively because it's the ego that's challenged. Mm -hmm. So pastors can get caught in feeling inadequate when challenges come up in their congregations about mental health, they, they can respond defensively out of ego because I'm not prepared on that, rather than saying, help me to understand that and where might I go to get further uh, help with my understanding of it and understanding myself. It, it requires that kind of humility, if you will. And I'm not talking about orchestrated, uh, manipulated humility, you see. Um, I will never forget in Mount Airy that helped us to start way back when uh, an AIDS ministry. AIDS was just rampant uh, mm. in the late late seventies, uh, uh, early eighties, and I did a, a few sermons on on AIDS and um, talked about the hospitality of the church and it had to be a loving place and not a judgmental place. And after the sermon, a person came to me the next, that very next day, an active member of the church then, uh, and told me that he had AIDS. And as active as he and his family was in the church up to that moment, I didn't know it. And I said, why are you just telling me? And I never will forget what he said. He said, it wasn't until he heard the sermons that he felt that it was safe. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. to tell me about his, because he was worrying about stigma. Yes. The family knew, the family was caring for him. And then I discovered, Kathy may not may remember some of this, then I discovered there were a number of people in the church with family members who had AIDS and or they were domestic workers in Lower Fairford County taking care of the AIDS children mm -hmm. of the families they worked for. Yeah. 
And when I started talking about it and sharing what I knew, one member came to me and said, Reverend, I'm glad you, you're up to date on this A stuff because, I, child, I've been knowing about that for a long time. <laughs> said, oh, wow. He said, he said, let me tell you what I know. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that conversation created the, Kathy might remember, we had a yeah. formal AIDS ministry. Yeah, in the we church. still do. And, yeah. and uh, so it's, again, it's, it, how do you learn, how do we, any of us learn not to lead from ego is when we try to be more in touch with um, being motivated by what it is that we love. Mm-hmm. And if we love the people, uh, God's people, ourselves, and, and others, then we try to focus more on leading from love rather than from um, achievements that may be a result of love, but in and of themselves shouldn't be the goal. And I think too that some people had fear because we just re- really didn't understand AIDS to the degree until right. you started talking about it. And then that helped me in my profession. At that time, I was a, a caseworker. And uh, I'll never forget her, very young girl, um, maybe, maybe early 20s. And she came in and and she sat with me and she said, Mrs. Patton, she said, I just want to tell you that I have AIDS. And she said, and I have a daughter. She, She said, and if something happens to me, I want you to make sure my daughter goes to my mom. And I said, well, honey, I said, I can't, you know, help you do that. But I can tell you how to guide you through that. You want to make sure that you have that down in writing and that you seek someone that can counsel you through that. And she said, and it's okay for me to sit here and talk to you. Like you can't catch it just by me sitting here. And I remember just leaning over and touching her hand because Mm -hmm. I felt like she needed that. Mm -hmm. And we just sat and had a long conversation and just even forgot about what we were there to even talk about. But just just that comfort. And unfortunately, she lost her battle with AIDS. And I and I was just so touched by that, Mm -hmm. that she just felt comfortable because I feel like that was the first time she had released that to anyone outside of her mother. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was really powerful to you for you to take on that um, that mantra and to really share information. Because as he said, people came and felt comfortable being able now to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have that type of, of personality that you're very open and honest. And I know um, Odell, as I shared with you, Pastor Reverend Street married my husband. And I, of course, we had to go through um, marriage counseling. So I got to tell you, I wasn't that comfortable then. My husband was very comfortable. He was. was, He was cool. He was. I was mortified, like, oh, my God, if I could slide under this seat, I would. But my husband was very, very comfortable in in talking about, but one of, but also Reverend Street, he counseled me even when I was thinking about going for my MSW as well. And he, he posed a question to me that I'll never forget that suppose that you are counseling someone and this person comes in to see you and you realize that that person is someone that may have molested children. Are you going to be able to give him, him or her, the same type of attention that you would someone coming in being the victim of someone that was molested? And so Mm -hmm. it really was a very difficult question for me to answer. And I still think about that. Those are difficult questions to answer. But Reverend Street, I would ask you, you have a number of, obviously you have a number of leaders in your church 
And what happens, and this would be something for every every minister to think about, what happens when someone does come to you for counseling? They're a leader in your church and they come to you for counseling and you know that they're a head leader in your church, but you recognize that maybe they shouldn't continue in that role based on confidentiality of information shared with you. Mm -hmm. How do you address that type of issue? Yeah, uh, of course, you, you hopefully you, you the person comes to you, they, they come because they're obviously concerned or struggling. Uh, they're coming for a reason and you wanna make sure that you create an atmosphere that is, that is safe, that they feel safe, that it's confidential. But as you know, I always tell people that what we talk about is confidential unless I feel that there's something that is that is threatening to you or you're threatening to some someone else. I can't I can't I can't keep confidence if you're telling me you're gonna leave here and, and kill somebody, you know, mm -hmm. or yourself. I mean that's an extreme, but but so um, th that's important to say. And then um, part of the task is to help them to see where where the incongruency may be in light of who they are, what they're struggling with, with what they're doing in the church. And it's a delicate assessment because some people's involvement in church is for them their mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. Right? That, 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 you know, in counseling, we know you'd never take away something unless you have something to offer in its place. You don't leave people with a vacuum. So, from an emotional attachment, spiritual standpoint, if the person is involved in something that I know that's significant to them, but yet they're not the right person for it, mm -hmm. I ask them uh, part of the time together is what do they think it would be like and feel like if they weren't in that role? Mm -hmm. okay. that, I'm not saying they're not at that moment, but I'm, I get them to try to imagine because uh, I'm trying to get a sense of what's at stake for them, and um, uh, if the stakes are really deep, but yet their their behavior is inappropriate, then I have to be a little bit more forceful and say, "I really need you to step down, step back, step away," uh, and, and even on a trial basis or temporary basis, and we can re reassess it. Mm. But the key is to try to do it in a way that you're showing love and not judgment. In that s sense of judgment, that's destructive. And I can and I can imagine that still not being very easy. No. Um, I remember being um, the director of ministry development and we had a person in charge of a larger ministry and she had an associate working with her and the person came and complained that she was being um, aggressive and demanding and telling her what to do and wouldn't allow her the space and creativity to use her voice in ministry during this in, in this in this ministry. So we met with her and I suggested that we separate the ministry into two. You take uh, this age group and we'll give her this other person, the other age group. And she was offended that I separated the ministries. And she was like, well, why would you do that? I'm in charge. I need for her to listen to me not to be on her own she needs to listen to me and i'm looking at her like that's not what ministry is that's not yeah. this is not the place for that mm -hmm. and 
she stopped talking to me for a while. Sure. But when the ministries were separated, they both flourished differently sure. and they had their spin and their gift. And God touched this other ministry in a way that we could never imagine. Well, um, you know, some people, good. some you don't help some people by not challenging them or not correcting them. <laughs> Uh, going along with some people is 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 not healthy for them or for others. And one of the things that a pastoral leader has to come to terms with is the distinct the way the way in which being a pastor is also lonely. Mm-hmm. It's not a popularity context contest. And you can, as you said, Reverend Odell, you can make a decision and the person will stop speaking to you. Well, that's that's really says something about the person, not about you. But if you don't have that that right perspective, you can take that personally, you see, mm-hmm. and and take it as a burden that need not be need not be yours. Um, uh, I've had situations with difficult people like that, and part of my approach had been to to say, I'm not asking you to agree or disagree. I'm asking you to understand how. You, how you behave affected someone else. Yes. Now, and your response to me is not, I'm sorry if they took it that way. <laughs> said, That's not the response. <laughs> what I need you to do is to really hear how what you did affected someone else. Because I'm not interested at, in that part of the conversation. I've actually said this. I'm not exploring your motivation. I want you to understand your behavior. I'm going to remember that. I'm right, because we can come up with that. all kinds of rationales. You know, well, I would, you know, I didn't intend to. I would. That wasn't my purpose. That all that may be, but that's secondary to how the behavior actually affected someone else. You know, so Reverend, that's you how know, you help them to take responsibility. Okay, Reverend Street, you've been pastoring for years. You've been pastoring in Bridgeport. Um, Yale. So you, you you talk about the um, Yale students and the Yale population, and then you're in, on Dixwell Avenue in New Haven. It's different people, different attitudes and atmospheres. I remember coming to your church one time and someone just called you Jerry. And I was like, <laughs> you know, can you imagine <laughs> being in church and calling Pastor Bennett Anthony and he responding <laughs> to you? Um, it's just not something. And you responded like, yes. And I was mortified. I'm like, oh my goodness. And you communicated to your, it's to your church member as if they had called you the Reverend Doctor. Um, you didn't skip mm-hmm. a beat. So when we were planning this podcast, we were talking about your demeanor. Um, you're just, and I, I said this to you before, you just always got this smooth demeanor. And working with people in ministry, you say, is, is lonely. And it, it is. And, and Black folks will just say it out there. Mm-hmm. You know, Black folks in, in church are not always nice. Mm-hmm. But you have this calm demeanor about you. What do you do to take care of yourself to always present yourself in a calm, respectful, loving, hopeful manner when you're dealing mm-hmm. with your congregation? Well, yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, I, I have had my moments. There might be a couple of people at Mount Airy and at Yale and now at Dixwell that would say, who are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but generally, that's my orientation. Uh, self-care, I know it's a 
it's a popular term. Uh, but for me, it's a daily practice of, of meditation, prayer, deep breathing, exercises, some solitude carved out in the day. Um, uh, to the extent that I can do any kind of exercising or just being outside for a little bit if I don't have a lot of time, those those things are anchor points, and they're not they're not negotiable. They're just natural parts of my day. Mm. So uh, it's not like Monday is meditation and Tuesday is prayer and Thursday Wednesday is deep breathing. Those all those things are part of every day. Okay. Uh, at the beginning and at and at the end, and I've learned that over the over over the years and because of the nature of the work with the Harvard program, dealing with people who are dealing with folks traumatized by war and natural disasters, we, as a, the 14 of us who constitute the faculty, we are, we are each other's support and support group. And, uh, uh, and we check in with each other and uh, we ask each other how we're doing or we'll share, you know, I've, I've, I've noticed that there's some, something seems to be a little off kilter, is that true? You know, you don't. So, having having people to talk to outside of your immediate family, though family is important. Don't misunderstand me. But you need you need people outside of your immediate uh, church family or your professional peer group. And so you'd be. I mean, not you. You wouldn't be surprised of either of you. But a lot of pastors are really are really alone. Mm -hmm. They're solo for all kinds of reasons. And they don't belong to a peer group. They are suspicious to really share their vulnerability. Uh, they may not know how to do it, or may be afraid of doing it. And I, I'm aware of the fact that there's a lot of depression, substance abuse, uh, other forms of addiction that uh, that being that's being lived out by clergy, who then have to compartmentalize those ways of being to be in the pulpit on Sunday. Oh, yes. We had Reverend Stallworth on my uh, last podcast, and he said he had rather have told his church he had cancer before he had depression. He said it just wasn't perceived well. Right. Um, and we had that conversation with him, and he shared that with us. Part of that struggle is how do you say it to a congregation without implying that you're asking them to take care of you? Mm -hmm. So as soon as a pastor shares the vulnerabilities, the anxiety can go up within the congregation. Oh my God, how can we help you, Pastor? You have to be able to 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 share it as a matter of. We have to be clear on why you, why you're sharing it, but also make it clear that you're not looking for the congregation to care for you. You you have some other place where you are getting care for, mm -hmm. um, and that's so that's that's part of what that message uh, ought to be. Okay. It's funny you said that because I remember when my when my mother took ill and and I I struggled with it because my mother was always strong and so right. you know I had a very honest conversation with God and just saying you know how how could you do this to her right. how could you take someone so strong and make them so weak in in having to depend on others and 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 as if i'm talking to you i heard him as if he was standing in the room to say back to me her strength lies in allowing other people to help her now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it does it does take strength to ask for help 
And so um, I think that that's really a positive, um, although Reverend Stallworth was, you know, joking lightly of it, but he was, you know, we understood where he was coming from with it. And so I appreciate his honesty. Mm-hmm. And and then I want to ask you, because we have asked past guests this, it really started out with Odell and I just having a conversation and just being somewhere trying to to chill out. You know, she, sure. I recognize her, um, I recognize her and uh, as being a reverend and I give her that um, recognition, but I, I also know that sometimes we just wanna be friends and chill out somewhere, right? Yeah. And so, but what often happens to us is that she would be interrupted by someone that might come by and wanna have that conversation. And while it sounds like a hello, halfway through the conversation, she's recognizing that someone now is revealing something to her that requires her to move from that friendship mode into now her ministerial role. Sure, sure. Now, what has that happened to you before? And then how do you handle that type of situation? Oh, yeah. Here's here's the the caveat to that. If if everything if all you have is a hammer, then everything is a nail. (laughs) I love that. That's a (laughs) t-shirt. I'm aware of the fact that because of my counseling training in general and my specific focus on trauma, that I can easily see trauma everywhere person come up to me in a restaurant and say, how are you doing? And I'm saying, they said that in such a way that it sounds like they may have been <laughs> traumatized as a child. You know, you can just go off on this crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> the key again is self-awareness. Mm. And uh, um, the, the awareness is of your professional use of yourself, but it's also a, a general awareness of yourself outside of the professional use of yourself. Mm. So when someone comes and starts talking, and the professional self kicks in, that's a message to me that what I'm hearing is, is uh, someone who's, who's looking for that kind of listener. They're not talking to me as, as a friend per se or just a general acquaintance. And then I have to make some decisions about how I respond. Well, that sounds, you know, I'm glad you told me that's interesting. Look, you know, at another place in time, if you like to follow up, blah, 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 you give people other options. Um, so we can instinctively, I think, we instinctively can tell when someone is talking to us out of that need versus someone who's really just being collegial and friend and friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, a friend, the friend approach versus a friendly approach that's trying to get at a deeper issue. Yes, I go uh, to Kathy's house, and Kathy will let me be Odell. Yeah, but the husband comes in. Garland comes in. <laughs> And he doesn't care if I'm on the back deck, if I'm in the hot tub, if he's got a ministerial question. <laughs> and he'll, and I know it's coming because he won't call me Odell. He'll say, Reverend Cooper. I go, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I know whatever I'm doing, I need to pay, I need to listen differently because right. here, you know, he needs a different response. And, and and that has to be celebrated because people need people need to, to have those distinctions. In a, if a person is responding to us as Reverend, and then that that's saying that that's the need they have now, and to not listen and respond as Reverend misses them. You see, yes. 
Yes. See, when I go in to see my doctor, I don't need him to ask me about sports. I want him to talk to me about <laughs> you know, my heart and my, you know, we can talk about sports later on, maybe. But um, yeah, so I, I, I want to, I want to to honor uh, how people. And another way of saying this is that people so often know. They know. They, they can see us more completely sometimes than we see ourselves. Mm. And so they would say, I know you're a human being, you got all this, but but it's the reverend part of you that I need to talk to. Yes. And, and, that's, then if, and if we don't respond with that part of us, we would have missed them. Yes. And it doesn't matter how small or whatever it is, if I hear the reverend, I'm paying attention. Yeah. Or if yeah. I hear the conversation is going that way, I'm, I'm definitely going to pay yeah. attention. I will respond differently. Now, now, Pastor, you mentioned that you're, you know, you did certain ministries, you created certain ministries because of anxiety. You heard mm -hmm. it in your people, mm -hmm. people returning back to work. Well, the church is starting to open up. And I know now you have services in the parking lot. How are you going to open the church back up, manage anxiety? And, you know, people had anxiety for going back to work. Now you're a pastor that they're coming back into the church with anxiety. Right. How how are you going to open church and manage church and anxiety? We created a church reentry committee that's been meeting uh, over the last few weeks, talking through that question: if when should we and how should we? And so that committee is recommending that we return to in-service worship on the first Sunday in July, which is July 4th weekend. Prior to that, the committee came up, I nudged them a little bit, I might take a little credit. Uh, they came up with, well, we ought to put out a, a, a basic information question and answer sheet. And so they developed a question and answer sheet that gives guidelines for reentering the church, such as we, we're looking forward to seeing you on July 4th, uh, and when entering the sanctuary, we're asking all people to keep on their masks. There'll be uh, hand sanitizing stations all around. We've equipped, we've equipped the sanctuary with new medical grade air filters. All the kinds of things people will ask. Well, yes. is the church ventilated? Uh, uh, the social distancing markers in the pews have, are, are there. We give all this preemptive information to prepare them, right? and to continue the wellness uh, in-service worship does not stop when it's being live streamed, uh, you know, okay. when it, we have it, but it doesn't stop the weekly wellness meetings. So we still have that, where people can bring their questions uh, about anxiety. Like I told you, we have a planned uh, conversation about reentering work in, in, in the workplace and how to handle anxiety. So okay. information. And opportunities for for them to ask questions. Thank That's you. It. You know, um, Reverend Streets, Kathy. I'm not sure if I told you that Reverend Streets was with me when I did a um, interview with New Haven Independent, and we started talking about the peer-to-peer -peer program, the mental health advocacy training program. And Reverend Streets, Kathy has joined me as a facilitator. <laughs> Wonderful. Congratulations. Um, you know, I was sitting there in this interview and, you know, God said, 
call Reverend Streets. And I'm like, ah, I haven't talked to him in a long time. Spirit said, call Reverend Streets. And I did. He picked up. He said, yes. And Kathy, I felt like I was blessed by the Pope. You know, <laughs> Reverend Street says, you know, what Odell is doing is that she asks a different question. And she said, how are you feeling? And people now get to talk about it. And we, get to and we got to talk about the Let's Talk Peer-to-Peer program. Right. So, Kathy, even though you're coming up, I mean, Kathy's perfect for this because Absolutely. she knows me. She knows the production. We're on these podcasts together. And what we're doing is that we're now taking this ministry, this voice of our podcast, and we're taking it into the community. And we're going to start training facilitators to teach the Let's Talk program. Mm -hmm. And Reverend Streets is editing it, Kathy. So, That's awesome. Um, That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a, a year ago, we, we started a, a drug treatment program in our church, similar to some that you just reminded me of it. We, we trained uh, 10 people who became church um, uh, healthcare advocates, CHAs. And uh, for nine weeks, we had people coming who were suffering with addictions. We partnered with the Department of Psychiatry at Yale and a wonderful sister, African-American psychiatrist who's a rising star in addiction treatment world, Dr. Iona Jordan. And so we trained uh, church people to be a part of receiving uh, folks when they came in, they have to do a urine test and then there's a, a computer-based uh, behavior modification module that they have to go through. Mm -hmm. But they start off with a meditation, non-denominational, and they end with a meditation that the CHAs, the church health care advocates run. And that, that's been a wonderful um, way that church members have grown. Um, they've learned more about addiction. Some of them may be suffering from it themselves, but have not told me, but they volunteered and they've, they've been trained. And it's opened up the church to another component of how people are suffering without stigmatizing them. And the overarching uh, approach that I took was the church as hospitality. It, creating a space, a hospitable space where people could come and be themselves without being judged and being helped. That's that's our message. Some people asked us, why are you proselytizing? Do any of those people come to church? We had 40 people through the training program and not one of them came to church in any given Sunday or during the nine uh, weeks that they were there because that wasn't, that wasn't the objective. You see, the objective was to make the church hospitable to them. And that's what you're going to be you're doing, Kathy, with with the, the interruptions program as well. Well, thank you. And Reverend Street, thank you so much again for joining us this today. We really appreciate it. We know that you are very, very busy, but wow. you just don't know how much this meant to both of us. Um, our podcast, for anyone who needs to hear the message, and as shared already, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So today's podcast, The Faces of Mental Wellness, was timely and bringing awareness to the stigmas as associated with these type of illnesses. For some, addressing the topic 
topic of mental health and seeking counseling and guidance will remain uncomfortable. And for others, you'll hear it's about time, while still some will remain in the background and not feel comfortable about talking about it. We hope this discussion does a couple of things, but mainly bring attention to the needs to address mental health concerns and recognize that it is an illness and should not be a burden that someone should carry alone and also to let people know there's no shame in asking for help. In fact, it's just the opposite. It does take strength to ask for help. And so we thank you always for being the person who you are, for bringing that sense of balance to being in church and being able to have these open and honest type of dialogues. And then for our audience, we wanna share with them, please remember to like and subscribe to our station and please share with others because someone you know needs to hear this message. So thank you. Thank well, you. Thank, thank you. If I leave this one word if, you know, to our listeners, please. wherever, wherever, wherever and however you feel broken and whatever that means to you, wherever the brokenness is, there is a bridge and the bridge starts with not being afraid to ask for help and to recognize we all struggle. There are mental illnesses from a clinical standpoint, but there are also difficulties that we all have that are not clinical mental Ill illness categories. But wherever you feel broke, if you do, there is there a bridge that can help you to cross from that brokenness into a greater sense of your wholeness as a creation of God. That's Thank beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, we, we would love to have more conversation. We know you have Bible study at seven o'clock with your church. <laughs> and I don't want them mad at me next time they see me. <laughs> well, thank you for being the blessing that both of you are. Thank you, Reverend Chase. Thank you. Thank you.